Hi, I'm Chelsea. And I'm Chris. And we are first-time parents. We are a mid-20s couple living on the east side of Seattle in Washington State. Our baby was born in the spring of 2020, and we are learning how to become parents while continuing our lives of outdoor adventure and home renovations. So come listen to our journey as we learn how to adapt parenting into our lives. Welcome back to Emerald City Parenting. This week, we're going to talk to you about recapping on Jamie's first night at home with us. So as we talked about in the last episode, we uh, basically had to start the first night with a newborn just hours after he was born, since he was since he came in the afternoon. Uh, so that was pretty new for us, but we got through it with uh, minimal concerns. That went pretty well. And then the next day, our midwife actually came for a visit that afternoon. Uh, they generally do a 24-hour follow-up after birth just to check on everybody and make sure, you know, things are going well, the baby started eating, um, the mom's not experiencing any, you know, worrisome conditions. So she came that afternoon and she actually reweighed Jamie. He had lost six ounces in 24 hours, which was uh, just under 5% of his weight. That's pretty normal. Um, but then we found out we wanted to get him back up to birth weight by at least two weeks of age. So you'll have to find out on our future episodes to see if he made it. And uh, yeah, so she checked him. She actually did his first heel prick, which is, um, it's kind of like taking your blood sugar. You do a little prick in the baby's heel and it, um, like, you know, you get blood out and put it on this little sheet and then they send it away to a lab and test for a bunch of uh, like diseases or disorders that couldn't have been detected in utero, but can be detected once he's born. So we are waiting on our results for that. They're actually do two different ones and we'll get to see, you know, if there's anything worrisome in his genes. So that's, that's a pretty cool test and we're excited to see those results. Mm-hmm. So um, he had like a slight amount of jaundice, which is pretty normal. Um, it was so minimal that he didn't need light treatment or anything like that. Um, we just took some walks outside um, to get him a little bit of vitamin D. Um, not, you know, direct sunlight, obviously. It was a little overcast. Um, and then Chelsea got him a, a vitamin D. Um, was it just like a supplement just for infants? Um, which the dosing is really funny because you just put like one teeny drop, you know, in their mouth. Yeah, it's like an essential oil bottle, and one drop is 400 international units which is like a one serving for newborns or I think up to three months, something like that. Yeah. So we did that um, and for a couple of days and now he is the same skin complexion as us. He's uh, nice and pale. Which is uh, <laughs> kind of funny because when he came out, you know, he, he almost looked Mediterranean and we were like, man, he's got darker skin than we do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's nice and pale now, so now we know for sure he's ours. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So let's talk about uh, a little bit about his eating schedule. Yeah, so uh, Jamie's been eating uh, pure breast milk, just that, nothing, no formula added uh, since he came out. And he latched on pretty quickly after birth and then uh, was just eating colostrum for the first three days. And my milk came in at almost exactly 72 hours. It was like 
in the like mid later afternoon on the third day. So it was pretty exciting because, you know, that's the time frame you hope for it to come in through and mine did. So yeah, he's been eating really well, uh, about every two to three hours during the day. And then, uh, he'll have like a little bit longer stretches during the first week. It was like maybe four, maybe five hours at night. So he was waking up, um, two to three times for the early part of the week. And then I actually wanted to try to get a bit more sleep during the night. So uh, I think on the last two days of that week, I started feeding him uh, just extra throughout the evening, anywhere after like 5 p.m. I would just, you know, keep trying to feed him every hour or so and see if he would take anything. And then by the time we would go to sleep, um, between like 9 and 11, I guess, uh, he was a little bit more full. And that actually helped stretch him further until like 2 or 3 a.m. So that lowered it to just one wake up per night uh, since he'd be eating until he went to bed and then wake up between 2 and 3 and then not again until like uh, between 6 and 7. So that really helped, um, you know, even though he's a newborn, we can decrease it to just one wake up during the night. And then during that wake up, uh, I think we'd be up for about an hour between yeah. like him eating, getting changed. Sometimes it'd be multiple changes because he's really picky about he doesn't want his diaper wet while he's eating. He won't yeah. he won't latch He'll it on. A little fit. So yeah. typically it'll be change him and then he eats and then change him again and then, you know, put him back to sleep. Yeah. But it's been working out that way. I think only waking up once throughout the night is, you know, a lot better for us. And it, you know, it definitely yeah. makes me happier. So yeah, I think it's yeah better for everybody. We'll stick with that if we can. So yeah, that pretty much covers our sleep schedule as well. And then during the first week, we just got him weighed the one time at 24 hours. And then the rest of that week, we were just kind of um, feeding him as much as I could. And yeah, just hoping he was gaining weight appropriately. He did start to look like he was getting a little chubbier, like in his thighs and arms. He started so, to develop the little you know, fat rolls on their wrists, you know, yeah. where their wrist meets their hands, yeah, which he didn't that, have when he was born. So came out a little bit more. We, we knew that he was definitely gaining weight, but we, you know, hadn't weighed him. Yeah, I didn't track so. that. And then I think during the first week, we also washed his hair. It was mm-hmm. maybe on like day four or five. Yeah. Um, his head had a lot of like bruising from birth, so we didn't rinse it out or anything initially. We basically just kept a hat on him that whole first week. Mm-hmm. And, but we did wash his hair and just kept the rest of his body dry uh, when, yeah. around that time. When he was born, his head was extremely cone-shaped. <laughs> so um, during that first week, it was nice to start to see that go down and the swelling um, go down. And, you know, we got to see his cute little head actually, you know, start to look round instead of like a cone. And so he filled in nicely. He's got a full head of uh, brown hair. And so we're wondering if it'll fall out or not. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm kind of hoping it doesn't, but you know, it is what it is. So yeah, waiting to see how his uh, how his body develops. And his eyes were like a greenish gray when he was first born. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing that we we're thinking is pretty likely to change. Both Chris and I have brown eyes, right? So, but we have colored in our family, so we'll see where that ends up. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much covers his like physical changes, everything that we've seen happen in his yeah. first week. 
I mean, I, I had to cut his nails twice in that first week. Um, because yeah, they, when he was born, they were super long and he, he was at risk for scratching his little face. Um, so I cut his nails on day two, I guess, technically. And then I cut them again, I think three or four days after that. And, um, yeah. And that, I mean, I'm looking at them right now and they're even, you know, tending towards the long side again. So it's <laughs> amazing how quickly he grows his little fingernails. Yeah. The toenails aren't too fast, but he grows his fingernails so quickly. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So then I think the last um, major piece of the first week was to decide whether to have him circumcised or not. And um, that was a conversation that Chelsea and I decided to put off because we thought we were having a girl. So we decided to just not make that decision unless we had a boy. And so we had a boy. So and then we had to talk about it. Um, so my, my initial gut feeling, well, so let me just start with that. Um, you know, I, I value Chelsea's, uh, opinion on everything greatly and she does a great deal of research with pretty much anything she does, but she told me that I could make the, you know, the final call on whether he should be circumcised or not, because, you know, I'll have to be the one to, you know, explain everything to him as he grows up and, so, you know, she just thought that, you know, that'd be my place to decide, but I wanted to, you know, it to be a joint decision anyway. And so um, my gut feeling going into it was that he would be circumcised because that's what I'm used to. And in our families, that's like the norm. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't want him to, you know, be like weird or, you know, be confused when he gets to, you know, school age and, you know, maybe some people would be and, well, I guess, you know, I thought most people would be and I didn't want him to be like, you know, an outcast or made fun of or anything like that. Yeah, I think based on like when we were growing up, it seems like the statistics were very much so on the side of like two circumcised boys. Right. So virtually everyone like you'd meet, it would, that would be the normal uh, but we actually asked our midwife when she came over for our 24-hour visit what the new statistics were. And she told us that 60% of boys aren't in the U.S. and 40% of boys are. So it would actually be more normal not to have them circumcised now. And so then um, we were looking into like maybe why that switch happened. And um, it mostly seems to be because uh, circumcision isn't considered a necessity. It's just an aesthetic change. There's no health reason for why uh, you should have it done. So insurance companies stopped covering it. Um, and so even though it only costs, you know, four or $500 to have the procedure done, many Americans have opted not to go through with it um, just because of the insurance aspect. So um, I didn't want to let the money stand in the way, you know, of the decision. I just wanted to you know, factor that in as far as, you know, why the statistics are, you know, what they are. Um, so then we just continued on with our investigation. Um, I found, uh, an article online that specifically talked about, um, newborn circumcision in the Seattle area. And it actually said that, um, the Seattle area, 75% of newborn boys 
uh, were not circumcised. And I actually think the difference there is that uh, the Seattle area has a really high demographic of foreigners and um, circumcision is actually like, it's a very popular American thing to do. I think we found out that America is the only country that does it for non-religious reasons regularly. Right. Well, every other country, no matter like what level of socioeconomic scale they are, um, the main reason it's done is for religious reasons. And so really most of the world doesn't do it. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, America, it became the norm to have it done in America, but the rest of the world was kind of like, no, that's not, that's not our thing. <laughs> so anyway, so I thought that was, that was really interesting. And then, um, so we were talking to some more people and somebody pointed out, um, a Netflix documentary about oh, it was it. actually our doula. We asked her her opinion, and mm-hmm. she didn't want to give it to us, but we we asked her as a friend instead of you know as our doula, and she you know said that she's not on the side to have it done. Um, so then we talked a little bit more about that and how um, like reasons for why she thinks that, and then she recommended the Netflix documentary American Circumcision. So I think we watched that a day or two later Mm -hmm. um, to kind of see what that was about since it was a well-researched documentary and it had people from both sides uh, in it, like um, supporting those opinions. So that was really helpful as well. Yeah, it did a really good job of just laying out the facts and then, you know, kind of left it up to the viewer on which side they wanted to take. Um, I think it was a little bit pushed towards not doing it because it seemed very... um, like it really showed like the traumatizing side that the baby had to go through, you know, during the surgery. That's so true. I think it was on the side to not do it, but it, it did show people that were in support of why they think you should have it done. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, like what I thought was so surprising is there was such big protest groups on not having babies circumcised. And apparently they, you know, they're marching in Washington too. And I had no idea that was such a big thing. Right. And so I think the number one reason that I thought and that others think um, for why circumcision is a good idea is because supposedly not being circumcised is like dirty and, you know, it's like risk of infection if you have that extra flap of skin. And a lot of people think that it's just a hassle to, you know, clean under that and, you know, things of that nature. And so that was kind of debunked. Um, well, even in the first article we read, uh, it talked about how that's really not true. And the primary, like, quote unquote, sanitariness of it is really just preventing HPV and HIV AIDS from spreading in heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like general bacteria is not a problem. It, like whether you have foreskin or not, it's not a problem. Yeah. And so not only that, but so I didn't really know anything beyond, you know, this point. Um, So I learned everything to follow through all this research. But apparently when a boy is born, that extra flap of skin is not separate from the rest of the penis. It's like connected by a membrane. It's connected by a membrane. So you can like it would be very bad and painful if 
you know, somebody were to, you know, pull that piece of skin back to clean under it. Um, because it's, it's, you know, the body is designed to leave it closed until the boy reaches puberty until you actually need it. And so, um, that being said, then if you're not circumcised, then apparently you just, um, clean what you see and you don't have to, you know, pull back a flap, you know, and do any of this crazy stuff until, you know, you've reached puberty. And at that point, you should know how to bathe yourself properly. And, you know, I would imagine that really wouldn't be an issue at that point anyway, because you're already in the shower. Like, what's the big deal? I mean, I certainly wouldn't think it'd be a big deal. So at that point, I was like, okay, well, then if it's if it's not actually like cleaner or healthier to get rid of it, then why else would we get rid of it? And so then the other you know, reasons would be like for religious purposes. Um, but you know, we're not of a religion that we think that's necessary. So that doesn't apply either. Um, so then it just came down to, Oh, well, well that's, that's just what you do. And then, um, so then later in, you know, in the, the video we watched, they went into in depth how, um, doctors would, perform circumcisions on boys without administering anesthesia, or even if they did administer anesthesia, it takes five minutes for it to kick in. And so many of them would, you know, give the boy anesthesia, but then they would just start cutting right away. And the anesthesia wasn't, you know, effective yet. And then it was basically as if you would not give it to them at all. And most doctors at some point in time thought that it wasn't necessary to numb the area because they thought that newborns couldn't feel pain for some reason, which that is seems completely ridiculous. That is totally ridiculous. The Like feeling is one of the first things to develop. And like, you know, you know, your baby can feel your touch as soon as they're born. That's why skin to skin is so important. And yeah. All those things like to say that they don't have feeling is just completely ridiculous. And then other doctors would say, well, it's okay to, um, it's okay to, to just start the procedure without anesthesia because they'll go into shock soon after and then they'll stop crying. And Which like, again is just ridiculous on another aspect. I think that's I think that's extremely cruel. I think that most people wouldn't be okay doing that to animals, let alone another human. Yeah. So I think that's totally ridiculous and unacceptable. And so obviously, you know, this is 2020, so you know, that might not be the current practice nowadays, but it may have been you know, back when some of us were going through it. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, even 20-some years ago. But anyway, um, and we don't have to get into, you know, the the crazy, you know, accounts that people, like some people say that they have like flashback, you know, bad dreams about it. And But what I did think was really interesting um, is that there was one case in particular where there was a guy who um, was 18 years old and so he was sexually active um, and he was intact and he thought it was like weird that he um, wasn't circumcised. So he decided to have himself circumcised at age 18. And he said that it was like night and day in a bad way. And his like sexual experience was like completely different in a bad way. And, um, apparently like when you cut off the foreskin, you cut off like these, um, five, uh, crucial points 
to their like stimulus points um, that you know help you like you know have better sex and so then it it comes back to like okay well we wouldn't do that to a girl right like we wouldn't cut off their clitoris you know yeah. but then well, some apparently pe- the like female circumcision used to be a thing or is a thing in other countries so that was like another question of like okay well you know we wouldn't do this to a girl like everyone in modern day would think that's completely ridiculous and that right. it's you know, cruel to do that. So why would we do it to a boy? And so it was even more interesting because at a point in history, um, in the U.S., it was illegal to circumcise a girl because that was unethical. But it was then, in the mid '90s, like right after we were born. But then you could still circumcise a boy, and then it's like, well, why would you do this to a boy? But you, you're not allowed to do this to a girl. So then they had to respond with saying, oh, okay, I guess you can do it to a girl then just to make it like fair or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really like we should just not be doing this to infants at all because if you're going to do that and you're an adult and you can give consent, that's one thing. But, you know, to be an infant literally hours old, you know, and then have this life-changing decision made for you, that's really not fair. So um, I think that's a key takeaway that I got um, out of doing all this research. Yeah, I think that's one thing we kind of kept coming back to is that, like, why would you do a surgery that's really not necessary? And it's uh, the whole point of the surgery is to solve an adult problem, minimizing the spread of STDs. But you're doing it to an infant many, many years before they could possibly come in contact or spread this disease right so why make an adult decision for an infant when it's not applicable at all right so since nowadays it's the norm to not be circumcised but even really besides all that i think it's it's super cruel and unnecessary um that we're just not gonna have him circumcised and i'm extremely happy with that decision and um (laughs) So hopefully he is too one day. <laughs> hopefully he is too. But I mean, the, the, the amount of research that was done, I mean, I can't even, I, I probably wouldn't even feel comfortable going completely in depth with everything because some of it is just like TMI, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of things we did not expect. If, but uh, If you have a boy yeah. and you, you know, need to make this decision, just make sure you do a lot of research before you just blindly make a decision. You know, even if you decide to have them circumcised, just do, At least the, you'll know. do the research. So that way, you know, you'll be able to back up your decision one day. If they ask you why you were, then you can say, well, because this, this and this, instead of just saying, well, it was the thing to do, because that's not really a good reason to have a life changing decision made for you. Yeah. So anyway, so we're, we're happy to say that he's not circumcised and he's not going to be circumcised. And yeah, I mean, that, that is a really controversial topic in America for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we're going to get kicked back <laughs> when our, uh, when our families hear the whole thing, mm-hmm. but that's okay. But we'll figure it out. But anyway, uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed our background and research and our little update on Jamie come back next week and hear if he's, uh, if he's progressing well and how we're sleeping and, All the other fun stuff. And no more talk about penis.
Don't worry yeah. about that. This is the only time. <laughs> All, right, All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.